If you would, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31 is where we are tonight. We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans. The last two weeks we've been looking at what God says about the reality of who we are and where we stand in our sin. And in the context of that, leading up to verse 21... Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, talking about these first two words in verse 21, but now. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, There are no more wonderful words in the whole of Scripture than just these two words. Hopefully by the end of the night, you will have a glimpse into what he's saying. Romans 3, 21-31. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly and Holy Father, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to accept your word. Silence in us. Any voice except your own. Help us so that as we hear your word, we might respond to it the way you would have us respond to it. Father, enable us to obey as we go through life the rest of the week, but yet to obey by the grace that is in the gospel. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. On a Tuesday night of last year, while Olivia Wilde was on stage at CinemaCon in Las Vegas, she was there to introduce her newest film, Don't Worry Darling. But when she stood up to introduce her newest film, a woman got up from the audience and she walked to the front of the stage and she slid a manila envelope towards her. Wilde was obviously surprised and said, this is for me? Right now? So she bent down to grab it, took it. She 
said something along the lines of, this is very mysterious. I'm going to open this now in front of all these people. And so as she's opening it, she says, what is this? Is it a script? Oh, okay. I got it now. Thank you. It was not a script. She's an actress, if that didn't make sense. It was not a script. Turns out the envelope contained legal documents, quote, drawn up to establish jurisdiction relating to the children of Miss Wilde and Jason Sudeikis. In other words, what happened is in the middle of her presentation, she got served. Imagine how awkward that would have been. Um, what would you do if something like that happened to you where right in the middle of maybe taking a test or maybe you were hanging out with some friends and someone came up to you and gave you some papers saying, hey, you're being sued. Maybe what anxieties might overcome you if you were served those legal papers? But see, here's the truth about what the Bible proclaims to us is that God has served us legal papers by revealing his law to us. God has shown us that we are in debt to him. There is a holy lawsuit against you and me. The accusation that is upon us is that originally when God told us obey the law or else, that was the conditions, but we did not obey the law. And because of that, the lawsuit is against us saying that we have disobeyed and we are under God's condemnation. And that even though it's not yet judgment day, it is coming. That's the reality of our lives. Is that we have sinned against an infinitely holy and eternally holy God. Now you need to think about this. What happens if you sin against someone who has always existed and the worth and value of their being is infinite? It means that you deserve an eternal sentence from an infinite being. My friends, the question for you this, tonight is this. Is there a way out? Because it's the reality whether you want to face it or not. No matter how much you want to distract yourself, you want to push it to the back of your mind, you want to keep going on life the way you're going about it so you don't have to think about those tough questions. The reality is that there is an accusation against you. The question is, is there a way out? But here's what God's done. Out of infinite love for us, even though he's the one he's, who's accusing us, he also, out of love for us, sends his son to be our defendant. It's as if Jesus comes to us and says, look, you need to realize this is as bad as it really gets. It really is. And there's nothing that you or anyone else can do to change this, but I can get you out of this. The lawmaker himself sent me to get you out of this, but you have to trust me. You have to believe what I'm telling you. And if you do, then when you come in God's court, you will be justified. My friends, this is not a hypothetical example. It's the reality of you in this moment right now before God's word. Will you listen to Jesus Christ or not? You see, if you want to be justified in God's court, you have to trust God's way of justification. Go back to verse 21. 
What Jesus wants you to see tonight is that there is a righteousness apart from the law. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. What does that mean? Well, first of all, thinking about the righteousness of God, what does that mean? The righteousness is something that we need to stand in God's presence and receive his favor. If we don't have righteousness, then God will condemn us. So we need a righteous standing with God so that he might have favor upon you and me. But Paul is saying here, (laughs) excuse me, God through Paul is saying, you can get this apart from the law, apart from you earning it. What does that mean? When he says apart, it's the same word used in Ephesians 2.12 when it says, remember at that time you were separated from Christ. In other words, as much as a dead sinner is separated from Christ, so much is the righteousness that God is revealing here. It is so separated from the law. You see, here's what that means for you and me. God is telling us that there is a way you can have righteous standing with him apart from the law. That means three things. First, there's no contribution to this. God's not waiting for you to do your part first. You might be asking questions constantly in life. Well, have I done enough? Have I felt sorry enough for this sin? Have I I tried hard enough? You might be thinking this. Well, I need to do enough even to keep this righteousness. But Paul is saying, no, 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 it's apart from the law. That also means this, there's no preparation needed. God doesn't need us to do something first and then he'll justify us. It doesn't mean that God's waiting for you to go on a sinless streak. And then once you go on a a sinless streak, which by the way is never going to happen, But when you go on a sinless streak, then God will show mercy to you. No, it's not even this. It doesn't even mean that God will change you first and then he'll pronounce you righteous. It's not that. There's no preparation in this. There's no assistance in this. In other words, God does not need your resume. He doesn't need your resume. He doesn't need the resume of anyone else. Your circumstances and your sins are not too much for him to overcome. Amen? By the way, King's Cross, I am a feedback preacher. I've preached to you all before. But I want to make sure people are alive, right? In other words, this. If God needs no contribution from us to be saved, then it does not matter how bad we are. That's amazing. You see, what Paul is saying here very clearly is that there is nothing of the law, at least on our end, there's nothing of the law, nothing of our good works that ever contributes to our justification. Ever. Not from the start, but then also this, and we need to hear this. God's not even looking at you and saying, okay, I'll justify you, but you need to make sure you're really good. And then if you stay really good at the end of your life, I'll look back over your life and I'll choose whether to leave you justified or take it away from you. No. 
Nothing ever of the law and your works will contribute to this righteousness. That's amazing. He says that it's been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Y'all know what credit cards and debit cards are, right? You use a credit card and you, you swipe it and you rack up credit to pay it off later. A debit card is something where you already have money there and when you swipe it, it takes the money out. We can put it this way. This is what Paul's saying here. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament Christians were saved on credit. The New Testament Christians in today are saved on debit. In other words, it is Christ who saves people in the Old Testament and saves everyone after him. But it's always the same way. It's always been by grace. If you can't look at the Bible this way, well, the Old Testament was law and the New Testament's grace. No, no, no. God always saves people the same way. But what does it mean to have faith in Christ? This is what it says there in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Faith is not merely believing in God. It is believing God. Even the devil believes in the existence of God. He even believes in God and he shudders. But that's not true faith. True faith is taking God at his word. It is looking at his word and saying, yes, that is true. All of it's true. You see, true faith is, I've given this example before, but I'll give it again. Where's Aiden to There you are. Okay, Aiden's a pilot. So, if I'm going to act in faith, trusting that Aiden can fly me around his plane, what I will do is I will take a step onto his plane, and I will sit down, and I'll ride around while he flies us around, right? Now, I might be nervous about us crashing or maybe his ability to fly, but is my faith keeping us in the air? No, he is. My friends, faith is not your work. It is just you trusting in the one who has worked for you. Amen? Amen. You see, the only condition to receive this righteous standing with God is just to look at Jesus Christ and say, I trust you with my whole life. And that's what Paul's saying. It's faith in Christ so I've heard recently someone was saying that it doesn't really matter what our theology is as long as we just have kind of this general emotional feeling that God loves us. My friends, I could not be further from the truth. Because Jesus, he is more than just propositions, but he is never less than theological truth. It matters what you believe. So what do we mean when we say faith in Christ? Paul's already been talking about this. When he says faith in Christ, he is saying that this Christ is the one who the Old Testament prophesied. That this would be the one who would come to make all things right. That this God would descend to earth. That he would take on flesh so that he is truly God and truly man. Not 50-50. 
He is truly God and truly man. He is also the greater David. And he came from David's line. He lived a perfect life. He died a cursed death. And he died an atoning death. And he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And just let me make sure he was born of a virgin as well. My friends, that's the Jesus that you trust. Not just the Jesus of your own making. It's this Jesus that we look to Him and Him alone and we say, only you can save me because I am a wretch. You see, Paul is saying that the truth of this salvation is for all who believe. Meaning, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles, the people who think they have a put-together life, and the worst wretches in this room, which, by the way, it's just all of us. Some of us just do a better job at pretending. My friends, it is Jesus and Jesus alone that gets you a right standing with God. Amen? That's how amazing he is. Specifically, what does this look like? Well, look at verse 23. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the negative part of this. What does it mean to sin? It means to not obey God. It means to do what you should not do, but it also means this. It means that you don't do what you should do. So some of you might be living with a mentality of saying, well, I'm a Christian just because I avoid certain lifestyles. My friends, that does not make you a Christian, even more than the devil's faith makes him a Christian. Being a Christian is believing in Jesus Christ. Because sin is not just when we do the things that we shouldn't do. It's not perfectly doing the things that we should do. So all of us are sinners. All of us stand under God's condemnation in our thoughts, our words, our deeds. None of us are perfect. All of us are sinners. By the way, that's the entire point of Romans chapter 1, 18, all the way through 320. I remember hearing one pastor say that his kids were playing church in the basement and they wanted him to come down and, and be in the congregation. And his son got up to preach and uh, he got up and he says, you're all sinners. Let's pray. Sometimes that's what it can feel like. But even though it is hard news, it is true news. We are sinners. We don't measure up to God's glory. We fall short. Let me even speak into our cultural moment here for this. By saying that we fall short of the glory of God, it means that even no matter how much self-esteem we have, we still fall short. That means this, that if we are sinners, the law cannot help us. Our works will not save us. So the Heidelberg Catechism says, the righteousness that, that can pass God's judgment, think about like a passing grade, that righteousness must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. And we know that even if we fail in one bit, as James says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Now, friends, for all 
have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's the positive part. But even though we have sinned, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are justified by His grace. Amen? This same word for righteousness is the same word in the Greek language for justified. It's almost like saying like you're righteousified, if I can put it that way. You see, the righteous standing that we need before God, God saying, look, I can give that to you apart from you trying to be good enough. Is that not amazing? To be justified, what does it mean? It is an act of God's free grace where here's what he does. He forgives you all your sins, past, present, and future. And he accepts you. As perfectly righteous in his sight. He doesn't merely forgive you and then say, okay, you're back at square one. Now do your best. No, no, no. He forgives you all your sin and he gives you a perfect righteousness. Amen. Hey, come on now. I don't even know where that came from. There we go. Back in the sound booth. Guys, the Bible is awesome, is it not? You see, this is what justification is not. It's not an ongoing work. No, no, it is a definitive act. It's not a process. If I can use Joe Lynch, well, Joe, you're justified, but here's the asterisk. Uh, You better do good to keep it. And as soon as you do bad, I'm sorry, Joe, you're done. No, that's not it. It is a definitive moment where God says you are justified and you are forever justified in my sight. Guys, can we be honest for a second? Aren't we always looking for ways to justify our existence? Whether you're in high school or college or you're an adult, we're all doing this. We just do a better job as we get older pretending that we don't. Am I right, adults? Facts. You see, we do this by thinking about our choices, thinking about is our purpose justifiable? Do we have the right identity? Do we, do we choose the right school and major? Do we have the right girlfriend or, or boyfriend? You see, why are we always having these, as it were, justification crises? Because we know we're desperate for justification. That's why you feel paranoid all the time because God has made you in such a way where your conscience knows there is a God and you will have to answer to him. What you need is a justification that is greater than anything else you could earn on this earth. And the Bible is saying, here it is. It's in Jesus Christ. And it's given to us all by grace. To be clear, what is grace? Grace is is God's undeserved favor. It's not merely forgiveness, but it is also positive favor. Imagine, as one comedian said, he saw on a fence post out in the country, he saw a turtle on top of the fence post. And he began to think, how did that turtle get there? Then he began to say, imagine if that turtle began to think, I'm pretty awesome. I got up here all on my own. Do you imagine how ridiculous that is? But my friends, isn't that what we do whenever we try to boast in something other than Jesus? 
We try to boast in how much theology we know or how, much, how many times we've been to church or, or how many times we post our devotions on Instagram. We boast in how much social justice we're doing or how many clubs we're a part of or whatever else it is. Acting like somehow we've done something, even the very breath we take, without God. But it is all by God's grace. That's why justification is because of the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ. It's all because of Him. Paul even digs further where he says this grace is a gift, meaning to freely give someone something. It's not like, maybe y'all remember this, where you got high school graduation gifts and what did your parents say? Well, you better make sure you write all those thank you letters or else. You know, my older brother got grounded. (laughs) He's like, right before college? Uh, It's not that where it's like, here, you can have this gift on the condition of this. It's not that. It's just a gift. It's what the hymn writer said, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. It's by grace. How does this happen? Paul says that it is through the redemption, look at verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Meaning that Christ, he came to us who were held captive by our sin. And he redeemed us by paying the price. It's kind of like redemption is a picture of, if I can give it to you this way, it's like when you go to Dave and Buster's and you're just killing on the games. And you take all those tickets that you earned and you think you're going to get an amazing toy, but you just get like a yo-yo. But in other words, you take those tickets and you redeem a prize. Here's what Jesus did. Because of his worth and his value, he pays the price we could never pay so that he could redeem us. Amen? Amen. Jesus bought you. But what was that payment? Paul says here uh, in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. What in the world does that word mean? Let me give you a picture. There are two words in the Bible that are used called propitiation and expiation. Let's say this. I'll use myself. I'm, I'm, I'm the sinner. Here's what expiation does. Jesus, the cross is as it were, it's over me. It covers me from God's wrath. It's kind of like, I remember one movie where uh, it was about Navy SEALs and there's a grenade on the floor and a Navy SEAL jumped on the grenade to cover the grenade so that it would blow up on him and not the people around him. That's what the cross did. Jesus absorbed God's wrath so that we might not have to have it, but it's not only that. Here's what propitiation is. Propitiation satisfies God. Because God must be just. He must show justice against sin. And He must be satisfied if we are to be saved. And that's what the cross did. That God poured out His wrath so much on Jesus Christ. That in John 19.30, when Jesus said, it is finished, the Father as well said, it is finished. Amen? Amen. 
See, it's not like a cockroach in an atomic bomb where it blows up everything else, but there's a little bit of wrath left over for you, so you better be good so that you don't get it. No, no, no. Jesus absorbed all of it. I love what Jerry Bridges says. All who trust in Jesus need never fear the possibility of experiencing God's wrath. It was exhausted on his son as he stood in our place bearing the guilt of sin. That's what propitiation means. I'll tell you a story. I used to do youth ministry before this. I'll tell you a story about someone who I used to counsel. And this particular person had a severe problem and a full-on addiction with cutting. And the more and more I talked with this person and we surrounded this person with help, but the more and more I talked with this person, I began to see where this was coming from. She was cutting herself because she did not trust that Jesus was enough for her and her sins. She saw her mistakes and her sins and her past. And so what she would do, she would cut herself thinking that she needed to somehow atone for herself. My friends, maybe some of you are doing that particular thing or maybe something else. Maybe you're doing something because you don't believe that Jesus is enough and you need to somehow harm yourself because that's what God really desires. My friends, let me please speak to you in this moment. Jesus Christ, he, in the truest sense, was cut on the cross for us. Jesus is what the Father says. When the Father looks at Jesus, he says, he's enough. And if Jesus is enough for the Father, who has infinite standards, he's enough for you. Amen? He's enough for you. There's no sin of yours that is too great for Jesus Christ. There's no wrath left over that maybe there's just a little bit more that you have to take. No. Jesus absorbed God's wrath for you. That's what Jesus is trying to tell you tonight. He's saying, look, trust me because I took God's wrath for my people. How do we receive this? It's just through faith. It's just through faith. It's so accessible, y'all. It's right here before you. Jesus is right here proclaimed to you. He's just saying, believe me and you will be saved. Amen? Amen. The righteousness of God apart from the law. There's also the righteousness of God that glorifies God. Is what we see at the end of verse 25 and 26. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present times so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does it mean when, <clears throat> what does it mean when Paul says that in his divine forbearance, God had passed over former sins? It means that in the Old Testament era, God had patiently endured to wait for a certain point. He had delayed bringing out his wrath in the Old Testament so that he might bring it upon someone else. You see, if I can, I love giving this example because it's very true. This is what baptism is all about. Baptism 
reminds us of the waters of the Red Sea. My friends, you need to realize this. If you have been baptized, your baptism will come true, but it will come true in either one of two options. You see, when the Israelites walked through the Red Sea, the waves were parted and they walked on dry ground and God delivered them all by grace. That's what our baptism points to. We believe in Jesus Christ. But there was another group of people who passed through the Red Sea, the Egyptian army. And the seas crashed down on them because they did not trust Christ. And that's where all of our baptisms point to is that it will come true. The question is, do you believe in Jesus? God had been waiting for that moment to truly bring down his wrath. He was waiting for someone sufficient. And that's who Jesus is. Old Testament and New Testament, Jews and Gentiles, all types of sinners. God was waiting for one sacrifice. And that's the one that was sufficient. It's saying that this showed God's righteousness at the present time. That he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, here's what happened on the cross. It's not like God takes your sin and he just kind of throws it aside and says, we're just going to forget about that. That's not what he does. Matter of fact, here's what it says in Scripture. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that Jesus became sin for us. My friends, what happened on the cross was this. When the father looked at his son who he had eternally and infinitely delighted in, but then one moment in history when he looks at his son on the cross, he sees the worst sinner there ever was. It's not because he sinned. He did not sin. He didn't have a sinful nature. He was perfect in all things in all ways. But sin was transferred to him for the multitude of God's elect. And so when the father looks at his son on the cross, he sees the most heinous sinner who's ever walked the planet. And so he pours out his wrath on him. And it was so sufficient where even God the Father says, he really did. He took your hell so that he could give you his heaven. And that was enough for the Father. That's amazing. God was waiting for that moment to show that he is just, that he is righteous. See, here's what it means. It's kind of like my student who I was talking to you about. You see, our consciences are often telling us, well, I don't know if you can be forgiven of this sin. I don't know if you can, if you can ever do enough good deeds to outweigh that bad deed. You see, maybe, maybe you're looking at yourself and maybe something was done to you that really weighs on you that you feel like I'm very unclean so I need to go and live a good life to, to be clean or maybe I need to hurt myself so that I can somehow get rid of this uncleanness or this. Maybe you've sinned such a sin that you think there's no way God can accept me. But what God is telling you loud and clear from this text, He is saying, look, brother, sister, Jesus is enough. He's enough for you right now and all the time. Amen? Amen. 
You see, the cross is so righteous that when we confess our sins to God, think about this. This is what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, it says he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's reverse that for a second. My friends, if any of you tonight confessed your sins to God, trusting in Jesus Christ, if God were to withhold forgiveness from you, if he were to withhold cleansing from you, then God would be unjust. Do you see that? My friends, if you confess the worst sin, God would be unjust if he did not forgive you because that's how sufficient Jesus is. That's amazing. God is just whenever he shows us mercy. Mercy, he is just whenever he justifies us. It glorifies God. And nothing else would glorify God like that. You see, this is, my friends, why the cross is so central to the Christian life. Because that's where God is most glorified. That is where our salvation is accomplished. The cross did not give us a chance to be saved. And then as long as we have faith. No. Jesus died so that we might have faith. Amen. It is all of grace. It is all of mercy. You see, that means that if you trust in Jesus, you and God, you're good. You're friends. It's not that you're back to square one. You are so in the right with God that you are his family. And you can never lose that standing. It means now you can enjoy God. You don't have to keep living in sinful fear of thinking, well, when's God going to get after me next? You see, it means that you don't have to live in hopeless despair over your sin or over your mistakes because God is merciful and God's grace is greater than your sin. There's a joke that Jerry Seinfeld, Sir Jerry Seinfeld has told about how cereal boxes for a while used to have toys, free toys inside. And I know I miss those too. Um, But he said, wouldn't it be funny if then Kellogg's would send you a letter saying, hey, we'll bill you later for that toy. Wouldn't that be so crazy? It would be. See, my friends, this is what you need to realize is that whenever you trust in Jesus, God is never going to say, I'll bill you later. Because Jesus was the bill. And he redeemed us. That's what Jesus is telling us tonight. That if we're going to be justified, trust him and trust that way of being saved. Look at verse 27 to 20 or 27, 31. This righteousness of God changes our lives. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You see, do we boast now? Do we brag about, man, look at how awesome I am. Everyone else needs to step their game up. 
I'm on the varsity Christian team. You guys are just still in middle school. This word for boast is the picture of what Goliath would do whenever he would walk out in front of Israel's armies and he would boast in his strength. But my friends, if you're a believer, you learn to stop bragging. I hate to break it to you, but you're not that great. (laughs) And that's good news. Because when we realize that we're not that great, we stop being so self-obsessed. And then we actually start loving others because we're focused on Christ and them. Tim Keller says, what you boast in is what defines you. Think about what is the thing that you wish people in this room, you wish they knew that one thing about you. Paul's saying anytime you boast in yourself, you're telling yourself a lie. Because... The boasting of anything we have in life should only be in God who has given it to us. Let alone for salvation, that any work, any work of sanctification and change, if we've overcome a certain sin, it's all by God's grace. Paul says in Philippians, it is God who works in you. See, this means this. We can't boast and brag in a sinful way about our ethnicity or about our family upbringing or about our wealth or about our social status or or about our works of social justice or how much theology we know or our spiritual gifts or how much evangelism and missions we do or how good-looking we are, what our resume is, or whatever else. My friends, the sign of a Christian is self-forgetfulness. Because Jesus becomes greater, as John the Baptist says, and we become lesser. That's what Paul will say in Galatians 6.14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it is God who has given you even the faith to believe, my friends. You didn't have faith in yourself. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, well, you just need to believe. The Bible says very clearly, on the cross, Jesus accomplished your salvation. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he turns you from being dead to being alive. And he gives you the very faith to believe. It is you believing, but what is empowering you to believe? It's all by grace. See, and this is why Paul comes down here and he says, look, Jews and Gentiles... You're both saved by grace. Neither of you are saved by works. Remember, that was the issue there. There was a rivalry of Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church. Paul's saying this. You have no room to look at each other and have rivalry. My friends, this is what we have to remember most today is that it is the gospel of grace, not any other ideology, not any other critical theory, not anything else that brings unity. It is the gospel of grace. That's huge for today. Paul is telling them, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you no longer live for justification. You live from justification. Amen? And that's what brings unity amidst diversity. And it's when we get that 
that instead of living lives of just lawlessness, like, well, I'm forgiven. I'll go and do whatever I want. No, no, no. This righteousness, it changes us. Slowly but surely. It takes time. But it does change us. And we learn to live in light of that righteousness. We learn to love God's ways and to not living like our old sinful self. See, this is what Jesus is telling you tonight. That if you're going to be justified in God's court, you must trust God's way of justification. That's what it is. Vidkun Quislink. He was a member of the Norwegian army who founded the National Socialist Party in Norway in 1933. <clears throat> Six years later, in 1939, he met another prominent German socialist by the name of Adolf Hitler. Quisling urged Hitler to invade and occupy Quisling's own homeland of Norway. Four months later, in April 1940, Hitler invaded Norway to gain strategic position in World War II. The invasion was quick, but people were killed. Many Norwegians placed all the blame upon Quisling, but when Hitler took over Nazi Germany, they set up a puppet government with Quisling in one of those positions. From that position, Quisling was responsible for many atrocities, including sending hundreds of Jews to concentration camps. This is a really great guy, isn't he? When Norway was finally freed in May of 1945, Quisling was immediately arrested, tried, found guilty of treason, and executed. Matter of fact, today in English dictionaries, you can look up the word Quisling and it will mean traitor. My friends, in God's courts, we're no different. And because of our sins, we are traitors. But Jesus instead is the one who's arrested. Jesus is the one who's judged as guilty. Jesus is the one who was crucified on the cross. Jesus is the one who absorbed God's wrath. Jesus is the one who died, and he's the one who rose again. Amen? Amen. My friends, the only condition to you being saved... It's not be better, not try harder. It is just believe. Believe and you will be justified. Let's pray. Father of mercy, we're asking that you would help us to know that we indeed are sinners. And that we are in desperate need of your grace. And and we can never love you unless you first loved us. The Holy Spirit in the Word has shown us the cross of Christ and He has convinced us that Jesus is enough to save us. Father, for those who have believed that for the first time tonight, assure them that they indeed are saved. Father, for those of us who are we're struggling to believe, convince us that it's true. Grant us more and more faith to see that Jesus is enough. Father, we ask that you would do that saving work tonight. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.